Welcome to the Stewardship Podcast, where we help you understand that stewardship is about more than just money. Today, we are going to be talking about some financial things because many of our listeners own a home and all of our listeners have heard about the real estate market lately and how, dare I say, unprecedented it is. <laughs> so to talk about that, I have invited Grant. Just kidding. Grant's always on the podcast. Hello, Not always, Grant. but a lot of times. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I am Daniel, and I have invited an expert on real estate who's shaking his head now. <laughs> a humble expert, Mark Shipley. Thank you very much, Daniel. Hey, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Mark uh, recently began helping stewardship as we launched a real estate company that you probably heard about at the beginning of this podcast. Oh, yeah, that's right. We have like a commercial going, don't we? Yeah. Mm. Sweet. That's I'll have awesome. to keep it going forever on this episode because <laughs> I said that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, just to, to uh, as an introduction for our listeners, who most of them are clients, um, yeah. some of you guys are actually already know Mark because Mark and I have known each other for such a long time and we've been able to uh, refer clients to each other for such a long time. Uh, but when I first started stewardship and uh, stewardship mortgage, uh, Mark was one of the very first realtors on a transaction that I was working with. And ever since that transaction, we've built our relationship, gained trust, and have been able to do our best loving people through home loans, loving people through real estate uh, in that way. So it's been a blast. I have a significant amount of trust in Mark and uh, his advice and his knowledge, and I've seen it not only in my own life, in the life of, of my business, but also many times in the life of his clients and our clients as well. So it should be good. It's going to be a fun episode. Yeah. I'm excited because I know very little about real estate. <laughs> so this will be great. I'll get to learn a ton of stuff. Hopefully our listeners do as well. So Mark, you've been doing this for a couple of years, a year or two. Uh, 19 years. Right. 19 years. 19 years. <laughs> I wanted to let you say the number. I'm waiting for that 20-year anniversary to come around, but it's... Uh... I hung my license in December of 2003, there so go. I've got, I think actually I've got 14 more, 15 more months to go. Sure. Yeah. What, but <clears throat> last I checked, time still moves forward, so we're going to get there. <laughs> yeah. God willing. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been doing this a long time, mm -hmm. and you've helped lots of people buy, sell, do all the real estate things. Yeah. Well, I, you know, my first exposure to real estate was in college, so I'm a second career guy. Hmm. I didn't really start real estate until after I finished a 15-year telecommunications career, and that was after college and all that. And I had a great real estate instructor in college that was a very funny guy, but he was a deal maker, and he, he kind of planted the seed really early on that real estate would be really cool. But you know, wanting to be stable and earn an income and have a family and have kids, I didn't choose that as my first um, my first venture in the work world. Hmm. Um, but, you know, my very first home I purchased was in San Diego, in San Diego County, in Tierra Santa, mm. which is just on the outside, so 20 minutes from downtown San Diego. And uh, my, I, you know, bought that condo after I got married, and then I had to sell it when I moved to the Bay Area. Um, and that was the first time I had ever experienced a down market. Mm. Um, I bought it from somebody who had gone through a previous down market, and he was losing money when I bought it. And then when I went to sell it, I couldn't sell it. Because uh, the market had flattened, I couldn't sell it for what I needed to get out of it. So I rented it. And then I moved up to the Bay Area. And 
um, went through a crazy process of buying a short sale um, in contract for six months before it got approved. Wow. And the only way I could buy that house was if I sold that condo in San Diego and um, it was a debt to income issue. I just I couldn't I couldn't afford um, the debt to income on the new house and the Bay Area homes are really expensive. Um, and so I had to sell the condo in San Diego um, without being there, which was kind of weird to be a seller, an absentee seller. Yeah. Um, you really got to trust the agent. <laughs> I, you know, most of the equity I had in it at the time ended up going to pay commissions and and I it ended up, ended up selling to the tenant that lived in it. Oh, <laughs> so nice. he, he made money for facilitating a sale to somebody who was already my customer. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird story. That plays a lot into even the conversation we're going to have today. And I think it's relevant to the conversation because this is a weird market. Yeah. And being a seller, uh, you want to make sure that, man, am, am I going to be a good steward of this situation? Am I going to sell well? Am I going, what is, what are my finances going to be like after I sell? And just even in your story, Mark, whether it's the market or different things that are going on, whether it be short selling or who am I selling to or all that stuff is is questions that people have as they're wondering, like, man, I'm selling now. What, what, what do I have to do? And our hope is that like at the end of this episode, we're able to give people a handful of bullet points of things that they can focus on during the sales process um, that can give them peace about being a good steward of, of selling their home. You know, I think I think it's going to be good. Well, I, I do have a couple of stories that play in pretty relevantly to the current market. So mm. Mm. fast forwarding from my non-realtor time as a homeowner, you know, um, you know, I sold my house in the Bay Area, moved to Phoenix in 2003. And that's when I started my real estate career here. Been up and down through the, you know, 08 crash and then through, you know, COVID and all the seasons that we've all worked. They're all familiar to us in this recent time and all that. Um, so I'll give you two. Um, one is in the recent crazy market, you know, struggle with one client. And then I'll give you another one that's a, a client that sold a condo here just a couple of months ago um, in in this flattening market. Okay. Okay. So um, so in the first case, um, this young girl um, that as a pre- previous client of mine, she owned a condo out in, in the Northwest Valley. And um, she – Wanted to sell her place, but she couldn't afford to buy a place before selling her place. Mm. And so um, she worked with her dad to get co-qualified to help her financially speaking. Okay. um, So that they could go buy a place. Yeah. Um, And so as a buyer, you know, in in the market the way it was a year ago, most homes were selling 10% over list. Yeah. Um, And so it felt like, what am I getting myself into? I'm pushing myself to my max DTI. I'm getting a decent rate, but now I'm paying... 10% 10% more than the property is worth just to get into contract competing against 10 other people. There wasn't yeah. a ton of homes in the market. There was a lot of buyers. As a result, you were competing and having to do right. crazy stuff just to get an offer right. accepted. Yeah. So while mortgages were reasonable, mm-hmm. the the sales price was the thing to worry about. I remember as a renter, I was like, I don't know if I can ever buy, but that was because I was thinking really short term. <laughs> well, the interesting thing in any market really is that if you're staying in the market, um, you know, depending on the direction you're going, more expensive or less expensive. Some people are upsizing. Some people are downsizing. Um, there's just this reality that what happens to you on the front side, the opposite happens on the back side, right? Mm. So she ponied up 
And, and in fact, we we probably wrote six offers, and the last one involved a hard money loan. I mean, we got really wow. crazy with trying to be a cash represented buyer, and and yeah. still and still ended up at at four seventy on a four hundred thousand dollar house. Wow. And so she got it, but it was like, oh my gosh, I have, I have bruises from this process, right? Yeah. So she got the house, she moved, listed her house, um, and she turned around and sold her condo. I think the list price was three fifteen, and that was the top comp in the neighborhood by fifteen grand. So the highest comp was three hundred, and mm. she sold it for three twenty nine. <laughs> wow! So, so she got yeah. it back in the sale. Not quite as much as she had to give up on the buy because right. she was going. Up. She was upgrading, yeah. But um, it's just true that if you're, you know, if you're if you're buying and selling in the same market. Um, and the interest rates are equal. There's the wild card, right? <laughs> then, yeah, you might have to, you know, you give some things up to get some things in the end. Um, and and so that's it's good to be aware of that as you're making a transition. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a really good, I think, wise piece of advice to understand that if you are selling a home and then you also have to buy in that same market, the market you're selling in is also the market that you're buying in, right? Yeah. Uh, which is obvious when you say it out loud. But that means a lot of different things. Some of the stresses that you may have about selling your home could turn into benefits when buying the next one or the opposite, right? Some of the benefits you might have when selling could turn into obstacles that you have to overcome when when buying. Um, that one market is the same for both buying and selling. That's that's wisdom that can give a sober-minded approach to the transactions you might be engaging in. So that's good. So the second story is about a condo I sold in central Phoenix near uh, Point Squaw Peak or Point Piestawa, I think they call it now. Yeah. Piestawa Peak? Piestawa Peak, yeah. I, I can never – I live two miles from it and I still can't pronounce it. Right. <laughs> so, um, uh, great little condo. I helped this lady buy it a couple of years prior. Um, she listed at uh, – in I think it was in May or June. June? June. We were listed mm. for about 40 days. So it, at that time, it felt long. Yeah. Today, 90 days feels long, but then 40 days felt really long. Yeah. And so there was this kind of question, is the market capping out? It's a condo, not a house. Um, and so it was very, very interesting because we had some interested parties, but buyers were starting to sniff around like sharks, mm. right? And uh, and we ended up getting an offer um, from a guy who actually is a realtor who lives in L.A. And his mom is a realtor that lives here. And uh, he wanted to be licensed in both states and go back and forth and be close to his mom. So um, I had scheduled an open house um, for the Saturday after they first showed the house. And then I called him and invited him to come back on Saturday to take a second look if they wanted to. Well, I had neighbors and all, you know other folks. I had advertised the open house on, on, on Zillow and Realtor.com and, and on, MLS, on the MLS. And um, he showed back up with his mom in you know, almost like a party. There was like eight people inside the <laughs> condo. And um, he got a little anxiety. Like he he um, he went home, wrote an offer pretty quickly, and it was a kind of a lowball deal, right? So mm. I think we were listed for two, 290 or something like that. And uh, he came and wrote something that was about $20,000 below list, which, mm. you know, Good, bad, I don't know. It, it depends on the market, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I really wanted her. I was aggressive on price, and I really wanted her to get a good amount of money walking out of this thing. I felt, yeah. like, I felt like she deserved that. I felt like the place was worth it, um, and I really wanted to fight for that. And um, 
So when he came and got that anxiety from seeing other people interested in the house, um, he, you know, he wrote his offer, but then I did get a second offer on the property. Now, if he had been in an exclusive position, um, we would have, you know, we would have used the circumstance to kind of paint the picture that, you know, we have a lot of interest on the property and hopefully the anxiety would have been given us some negotiating room. Yeah. But then we got a second offer and immediately he caved and went to full price. Hmm. And, um, wow. yeah. And from there, you know, typical transaction, typical inspections, we did a few things here and there, it closed and everything went just fine. And, uh, it was just interesting. So, I mean, it speaks to the, 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 the science behind why open houses can be valuable. Um, in a, in a market where there's enough interest or plenty of interest, getting people to bump into each other is a really, really great effective tool for making a buyer believe that they're not the only one interested in this place, right? So that's the main yeah. value I see anyway in doing open houses is to create that effect for real real buyers. So I would always, if somebody was you know had shown it or has, was talking about writing an offer, I would always invite them back to the open house so that they could see other people were interested in it. Now, in a market like today, there's not a lot of people going to open houses because not a lot of buyers are in a position to buy. So there's fewer buyers in the market right now. And so that factor is not as effective in today's market doing an open house. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of why we wanted to have this podcast <laughs> because <laughs> uh, there aren't a lot of buyers out there and we want to help people who are interested in selling now do it the best way. Right. And- uh, so having open houses in a typical market is a good reason why maybe using an iBuyer is is not as advantageous to get the most. I mean, using an iBuyer is rarely the way to get the most out of the house anyway, right? Yeah. So having real people come see the house in an open house, it's worth opening your home to do that. Can right? be. That's kind of what you're it, saying? It, it can be. In a buyer's market, I'm not so sure. In a okay. seller's market, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really valuable tool in a seller's market. Um, in a buyer's market, uh, it's less effective. I mean, there are other things to focus on in a buyer's market. I I believe anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's the thing too. It's like there's a there's a ton of different ways that you can sell your home now, and that's mm-hmm. part of the conversation that needs to be had. If somebody's listening to this podcast and saying, "Oh, well, how do I be a good steward of selling your home?" Well, you have to determine who you're going to use, and we have all kinds of resources where we've talked about the difference between, mm-hmm. "Hey, should I use a real estate agent or sh- should I use an iBuyer?" An iBuyer meaning open door, um, Zillow, who used to be in the market, um, Offerpad, Offerpad, yep, things like that. Those companies aren't evil, um, and some of them offer really great products and services to, to help you sell your home. But there is an underlying reality that in most situations, and you guys can check out the blogs and the videos, we've talked about this in detail. Uh, and you can put the links into it so it show notes. I will, yep. yeah. Yep. But like, you're not <clears throat> going to get the most for your money in when you're using those those services, right? It's going to be a different experience. And maybe that experience is valuable enough to you to let go of some of that profit. But also something that you're experiencing in this podcast is when you do work with an agent, somebody like Mark who knows what he's doing, there's a lot of different things that he considers, a lot of different things that he thinks through, a lot of different things that he guides people through when selling a home uh, so that when you sell the home, it can be done with wisdom, but then also love to make sure that that process is is smoother. As a whole, I think agents are the best way to sell a home. Um, you can sell it on your own. You can sell it through an iBuyer. But considering, okay, what what 
type of experience do I really want here? Um, helps you determine the, the answer to that question. I would be really surprised that iBuyers are even playing ball right now. Oh, man. I just uh, actually read an article where um, Zillow sold their final home that they had in inventory in California, <laughs> and uh, they sold it to Open Door, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Uh, mm. they, they entered the market, and they, they made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, it was a, it was a new venture for them, so obviously they're going to learn some things. Um, but, yeah, it's, an, it's interesting. When, when you're selling to an iBuyer, the, the hard part is they're representing um, – almost you as the seller and them as the buyer, which kind of makes things a little bit tough. Um, and, and it's different. It's different. So, yeah. well, I mean, some people refer to them as glorified property flippers, right? Yeah. Cause they're, they're looking to make a profit, turn it around and selling it and doing moderate, moderate picks up. So they really are a very organized investor of sorts. Did you know that you have buried utility lines under your front yard? Did you know that you and not the city are responsible for any repairs to those lines? And finally, did you know that your standard homeowner's insurance policy will not cover any damage to those lines outside your foundation? Well, I have good news. There is an endorsement that you can add to your homeowner's policy for about $5 a month that will extend coverage to those utility lines and will even typically cover wear and tear, which is a big deal. Want to learn more? Contact your insurance agent to see how you can update your policy today. I think that when you're selling your home, Mark, you, you obviously walk people through this when listing their home, um, and that is preparing your home to be sold. And a lot of people are thinking that right now. How much do I need to fix up? How much money do I need to spend into it? And you've done a great job creating like this hierarchy of things. And again, we walk people through that when they sell their home through us. But generally speaking, when it comes to home prep, what is something, how can somebody be a good steward of selling their home? Um, specific to preparing it? Well, um, I'm going to start this might surprise you, but I think the first thing that sellers need to understand is empathy. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and the reason that I say that is because every buyer walking in the door to their house is not going to see their house the way they see it. Uh, so that's yeah. the first thing that yeah. they need to, to to get a handle on. And that is like they got to get out of their own head and out of their years of experience raising their kids and having experiences yes. and, and all the emotional things that have got them attached to, to why they think their house is so great. And How start, can they not like that floor? Yeah. I raised my children there, <laughs> right. you know. Right. Um, and so they have to start thinking like a buyer would think. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's basically when it, for home prep, what it really comes down to is perception management. Mm. Right. And so a little psychology about the way a buyer goes through a home. Um, oftentimes a buyer's got a list, a, a stack of 15 listings and then I got an agent walking them through on a schedule and, um, you know, they get inside a house and then the agent's looking at the clock and they've been in the house for 10 minutes and it's like, hey, we got to get to the next the next house by, you know, 1245. We got about three minutes here to wrap up. And so they're zipping, zipping through the house, looking at it, trying to make some kind of discernment or or just. Dis- um, 
discriminate discriminatory judgment is a word I like to use. Not mm. in the in the neutral sense of that word, right? Sure. Yeah. Discrimination in the neutral sense of the word. And we do this all the time as human beings and consumers. We go to the oh, grocery yeah. store and we go down the cereal aisle and based on our influences and advertising we watch. And or even personal preferences. What, or personal preferences. Yeah. We are like, okay, Captain Crunch, not Apple Jacks. Okay. And then yeah. you make a decision and you go. And it's because of some kind of predetermined perception you have that makes you discriminate in that way, right? Yeah. So people bring all of that with them when they come into your house mm-hmm. and then they get what? 15 minutes, 20 minutes tops. If they really like it, they might stay for 25. And they're going to walk away with whatever perceptions they're going to have about your house. So the first thing a seller needs to understand is, A, you can't control everybody's upbringing and influences outside the home and all that kind of stuff. But there are some normative things that you can do to appeal to the broadians broad I'm sorry broadest audience of people based on trends in the marketplace right yeah i think broadians is broadians? The, the perfect word for that <laughs> <laughs> just start using that so the other thing to understand about when a buyer goes through a home is that they build their impressions in layers hmm. okay so the last thing you want is to some for somebody to make a conclusive discrimination about your home before they've seen negative discrimination that is before they've seen all the cool things, right? So mm-hmm. if before walking into the house, I already think it's trash, I'm now in my head got this negative perception about the house, and I haven't even seen really the house. Is that kind of what you're talking about? I have seen investors trip over this dozens of times. And investors are supposed to be excellent at this, right? Mm-hmm. But you know they'll go spend $40,000 on a kitchen remodel, but then they'll leave the front yard dirt with weeds growing. Mm. And then somebody pulls up in front of it, and the the first impression is, ugh, it looks yeah. a little trailer court. It doesn't, it, yeah. I, it, it's ugly. I'm like, oh, the first thing I'm going to have to do is spend 2500 bucks on the front yard. That's the first thing they think. Yeah. And then they walk in the door and they see a really cool kitchen remodel. And So what you've done is you've created a negative impression that then now has to be overcome by a positive impression. Right? So we yeah. say curb appeal, curb appeal, curb appeal, and that's why we say it, because that's the absolute first thing that people see. Because as as much as we say, don't judge a book by its cover, we judge a book that's by all its we cover. do. Yeah. <laughs> right? We have yeah. to. We can't read all the books. So that's, you know, you could extend that principle, but but knowing that people layer their perceptions, it's like, where do they go first? Where do they go second? They go in the front door. They see the living room. They go to the kitchen. Then they go to the the, the bathrooms and then in the bedrooms, and then they go look at the backyard. They do, almost always do it in that order or some slight variation from that. Yeah. So if you got really cool features of your house that, you know, you want to highlight, then you want to get people to those areas without passing them through negative impression items, right? So yeah. a good example is you could walk in the front door and the living room's being used as a playroom for the kids. There's nothing wrong with the house, but right. immediately there's a there's a um, as a dissonance in their head that like Uh, That space isn't being used the way I thought it would be being used, right? Mm. And so then it leaves this question mark, like, well, where's the dining space? Oh, yeah, it's the playroom in the the front living room or whatever the the case may be. So, you know, there's this idea that, like, we don't want to trip people into making perceptions that are unnecessary. Um, Another really good one and a really important one, and a lot of realtors talk about this, is space utilization. Mm. And and so a kitchen is a good place to talk about that. There's lots of things you can say. The, the the playroom was a spatialization issue, right? Living room used as a playroom. Dining room used as a playroom or as an office when it should be a dining room. Um, but in the kitchen, uh, a lot of smaller homes don't have pantries, right? So what do people do? They stack their cereal boxes on top of the refrigerator. It's true. And sometimes they, you know, they have, you know, 
they have a baby at home and there's a there's a drying rack for all the bottles next to the sink and mm-hmm. those kinds of things and um so what you what you can highlight on accident is the idea that there's no storage space in the kitchen like oh, oh yeah there's there's no pantry so yeah. like cereal boxes on top of the on top of the fridge highlight the fact that there's no pantry in the kitchen well we don't want to highlight that we want it to be nice and clean and free of Everything in its place, right? Yeah. And if, and if there's stuff that you just don't have space for, get rid of it. Put it somewhere. Stick it in a closet. Hide it. Whatever. But, you know, it less is more. It makes your countertops look more, look more expansive. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't trip people into, like, exploring then, well, what's the storage place like elsewhere in this house? Yeah. Right? So you, yeah. you trip them. And then all of a sudden they're opening every closet and realizing, oh, my gosh, there's – Right, you gave and they them start an idea. looking for negatives. Yeah, you planted yeah. a seed, and then all of a sudden they're like spinning that off, and then they just just judge the house as not having enough storage space. Right? Yeah. So that's kind of what I mean about understanding psychology and the layering of perceptions and all those kinds of things. Here's what I really like about this: the way that you introduced it is that word empathy, mm-hmm. and I think that's the perfect thing to focus on to be a good steward of selling your home. Is that you must have empathy because that empathy will hopefully allow you to be put in the shoes of the buyer. Of the other. Yeah, yeah. So that you are not necessarily uh, coming in with your own 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 pride and memories of that home. You got to let that go, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But then also empathy and putting yourselves in the shoes of somebody else will allow you to have more willingness to make some necessary adjustments during the sales process to get the most for your home. And man, empathy is such a great, great word to focus on. Uh, when, when preparing your home, you got to prepare your mind, prepare yourself, have, have empathy. Yeah. Now, Mark, we live in a world that is online. People <laughs> have the internet on their phones. They can search for homes online. I mean, you can literally just within a few seconds on your phone, look at pictures of of houses in a particular neighborhood. So if you want to be a good steward of selling your home, how can you still be a good steward of that online presence? Well, um, I mean, in a word, well, it's two words, professional photography. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, I can't tell you how many listings I've seen that have Either iPhone or well, maybe iPhones take better pictures than they used Samsung, to. Yeah. Samsung pictures, you know, whatever. But any any photo taken with a phone is not worthy of being put up on a listing, in my opinion. Yeah. And and in professional photography, I have a particular bent um, toward professional lighting equipment. So a photographer who actually brings lighting equipment that's keyed off of their camera so that they can control the lighting in the home, uh, because the truth is, homes are they they, they just take really crappy photos. And yeah. the reason is because the lighting is just irregular. It, there's all kinds of shadows and dark spots and things that don't get highlighted. And there's this blinding natural light that comes in one space and then a dark corner in another. And when you have a, a good good photographer who knows what they're doing and they have the right lighting equipment, they can really, really neutralize all of that and bring all of the space to life. What makes it look makes it look bigger. It makes it look more attractive. Um, it makes the colors pop more. Um, and a great agent is going to have a relationship with a company or a photographer mm-hmm. that, that knows mm-hmm. these things, right? Um, that set, understands that lighting is a big deal, that understands the way the photos are framed to, to enhance it. Because mm-hmm. we talked about what the home looks like prior to going in. Well, if they never even think your home's worth going to look at, that, that itself right. is a problem, right? Right. And it's got to have really good good pictures. Now, what about like access to the listing online? Most realtors, they can list it on MLS, but 
isn't there also a way uh, for agents to make sure it also gets listed to other websites? Yeah. I mean, it, it used to be, just to be honest, mm-hmm. right? It used to be that one of the things we got paid for as an agent was for exposure. Mm-hmm. And the truth of it, maybe other agents wouldn't like me saying this, but the truth of it is we really aren't in control of that anymore. Yeah. Um, There are some augment things that we can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially here at Stewardship, um, there's things that we can do that a lot of other companies are just never, ever going to do. Yeah. So I call that supplemental exposure. Mm. And so we we have some great tools here at Stewardship. um, are going to enhance the social media exposure and Facebook exposure yeah. and distribution to a very, very large group of people who are in our email database and yeah. and those types of things. Um, I, but I still call it all supplemental exposure, even open houses or drive-bys who are exposed to signs on the yard. It's all really supplemental exposure because once the listing goes into the MLS – Within a matter of about two hours, it hits this central database called List Hub, and then it just literally explodes to like 90 portals on, online. Got wow. it. So, you know, it, nine, less than 90 minutes after it's listed, it's on Zillow, it's on Trulia, it's on Realtor.com, it's mm-hmm. on Homes.com. I could go on and on and on and on and on. And, and a good agent just knows to click the particular box, right, Correct. in MLS whenever they're right. listing to ensure that happens. Right. Yeah. So that's it's not – I mean, you're, you're paying for access as mm-hmm. a listing client, mm-hmm. but that's not what how an, a real estate agent really earns their commission, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, but it's a necessary component for sure to have really great pictures and get that really wide online exposure. Yeah. And then supplement, supplement, supplement in order to expand that exposure as much as you can. Yeah. And just shameless plug, some of the stuff that we're going to be doing on our social media stuff is – you just heard a one-minute money tip before. Like we're going to be doing kind of one-minute walkthroughs of homes that we have that are listings of ours, right? Willing to share what's going on with that particular listing on our social media presence that gets over 100,000 impressions every month. Like that stuff is not normal for every right, situation. not right? normal at all. Um, so so the, the ability to add that is, is valuable. But even online presence kind of leads towards this word called access, Um, so when you're selling a home, you have to be willing to, to give access to your home, right? When, when people are wanting to, to, uh, view it or see it. So how can I be a good steward of selling my home as it pertains to that word, giving people access to it? Uh, you know, there are lots of people buy things online. Yeah. Right. People buy clothes online, but there's some people. I think half the clothes I'm wearing right now, I literally bought off Instagram. Right. (laughs) It's great. But there are some people that just. I just if I if I can't touch it and feel it, I mean, I now you can return stuff really easily, easily yeah. right? But I'm just not going to make a decision to keep something for sure unless I. And so that's why brick and mortar stores exist. You can go try stuff on all day. Really yeah, hard to return yeah. my house after living right. in it for a while. <laughs> right. Right? Same thing with same thing with cars. You know, Carvana's out there, so some people are buying cars online or whatever. But it's not the norm. Right. It's not the norm. It's a little niche piece of the market, right? Most people want to go. Get in it, feel it, touch it, see it. When they buy it, they want to inspect it, mm-hmm. right? They don't want a car to show up after never having seen it and there's a dent in the side. Now they got to go say, hey, I bought a brand new car. It's got a dent in the side. Take it back. I don't want it. And yeah. like, we did put that dent in there, right? So there's there's just this reality that our seller's market that we've been in has kind of given sellers a little bit of entitlement about whether they have to actually show their home to a buyer who might be interested in coming and seeing and kicking the tires. and Oh, yeah, because so many people were buying sight unseen during that crazy buyer or seller's market a year or so ago. Or, or the copycat syndrome in our market has been like, 
you don't have to do traditional showings in your home and then you set up this two-hour window on a Saturday where 40 people line up and yes. go through your home in, in like two hours and that's the only time you ever have to let your home be available for showing. Yeah, which is not a thing in this market at all. It is. It is definitely not a buyer's market strategy that is good for a seller in my opinion. It's still being said yeah. out there, yeah. but it is not – uh, going to help you sell your home faster or for more money if you are limiting and restricting access to your home unnecessarily. So what's what's the thing that a seller could do to be a good steward of selling their home in a market like this, a buyer's market? Well, well, the good news is that there's plenty of times during the day when it's convenient for people to show their home. There's other times during the day where it's not, right? I just yeah. think of a of a family with small kids or a baby, right? Mm-hmm. And you know the nap time is one to three in the afternoon. And feeding time is 10 to 11, and right. dinner hour is 5.30, right? Mm-hmm. So you can pick and choose your times in there where it's like, okay, in this little window, I, I somebody could probably come and go. I go to, I go to mom's group, and my house will be empty for three hours. But that's the thing. What do I do with my kids and the pets and all the stuff? Right. And I'm going to rush them out of the house. Right. So it used to be that we had no tools, and every showing was a manual request to an agent, and the agent had to call the homeowner and you you know ask can this person come at two o'clock? They want to come at two o'clock. They're on their lunch break or whatever. And then it was yes, no, you know I, this is going on. Well, they can come, but the house is kind of a mess, or you know, or whatever. Yeah. And so in today's world, we have a tool, and that tool is called Showing Time, and all agents are aware of this tool. But the real cool thing about that tool is that you can set up a seller profile in there, and you can put in restrictions. Oh, that's great. Minimum numbers of hours of notice. For instance, if you're going to request a showing, request it with at least one or two hours notice. Uh, number two, I don't want anybody in my house before 9 a.m. Number yeah. three, I don't want anybody in my house after 5.30 because we're going to be having dinner and, you know, letting our hair down and drinking a beer and watching TV. Man, um, even this, what you're talking about, can just provide so much peace of mind while selling a home because that's one of the things you think about. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, somebody could try to come at any moment's notice. Yeah. But if I've put it in the showing time correctly, I know – for a fact that things won't be scheduled outside of that. Yeah. And the cool thing about that tool is that you can do it for your client or you can empower them to do it for themselves if they want to. And yeah. I, f- I find that most people prefer that because if they say, oh, I, you can show in this three-hour window and then all of a sudden they like spring a leak, you know, plumbing leak, and they got to have a trade in their house during that window – a showing request comes through as a text message with a Y and an N next to it. So-and-so wants to come at 1045 to show your home for 15 minutes, yes or no. Mm. And so if they hit Y and send, it approves the showing, and then the showing happens. If they say no, it cancels it, they don't come. Now, as an agent, I usually get a phone call when that happens, <laughs> and then I have to call and figure out what's going on and yeah. all that. But the, if they want to be proactive, they even can click on a link in the text, and they can actually send a message to the agent. Hey, plumber's here right now. Can you come in two hours? And then they put in a new showing request. They put in a new (laughs) showing request, and then they get a new yes or no, and then they say yes, and then the showing gets moved to another time. Now, that makes my life easy, but it really makes the seller's life really easy. Mm -hmm. Um, So much peace of mind. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it's control. What it is, it's empowerment and control. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's a better way, in my opinion, to provide ample hour, you know, hour blocks where you can make your house available and you want it to be available so buyers can come and kick the tires. That's what buyers really want to do. They don't want to be restricted from access to something that that they're going to buy that's the biggest decision of their life. 
right? Yeah. So that's anyway. that's the thing I'm picking up from this. If I'm selling my home, I want to make sure I am really giving access because I know that people are going to want to try it before they buy it. People are going to want to walk through it, yeah. right? So knowing that because I'm empathetic, right? Because I, I followed step one. Um, but then also now knowing I don't have to give up my entire life, I can put restrictions on the showing time. That that helps give me peace of mind prior to selling. Yeah, I, I really love this. Um, this has been awesome having those three practical things that you've talked about, Mark. And obviously there's so much more to being a good steward of selling your home. And we could sit and have 10 you know, episodes of, about doing this. Uh, and if you're interested in talking with Mark or anybody on our team about selling your home, we would absolutely be honored to chat with you about that. doesn't cost anything to talk about it. Um, you can go to stewardship.pro forward slash sell hyphen a hyphen home stewardship.pro forward slash sell a home. Uh, now, listen, this is something that can stress people out selling their house. But the three things that Mark talked about are, are wonderful. Let's start with empathy. Let's have empathy for the buyer. And when we start with a posture of empathy, it can set us up for success when preparing our home. Let's make sure that we are giving people access to it online, that it's being presented in all the places and all the websites. And if you work with an agent that has a big audience, then maybe they can broadcast it to that, similar to what we do here at Stewardship. But then also we want to give people access to see it in person. Try to give as much access as possible. We don't have to give up our lives specifically if we're using um, that process that Mark talked about. What was it called again? Showing time. Showing time. Yeah, just using showing time wisely. Again, so much more to to selling your home and selling it uh, wisely, but hopefully these three pieces of advice help you. Uh, We're grateful that you joined us for another episode. Mark, thank you for joining us for the first time on the Stewardship Podcast. You're quite welcome. Yes. And uh, we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks.